and welcome back to Box Podcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Katya Gorecki. How's it going, Katya? Uh, no, you know, as we established on, I believe, it would have been last episode, uh, Mav is the only one who continues to believe in the internet on this show, so <laughs> that's awkward. I barely believe in the internet. I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having a very nihilistic day. Today's been long and and. and <laughs> Welcome to the fold. We have really bad jackets. Next week, introducing our sad merch store. Oh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, I'm I'm just having I'm having a long day of computer problems and trying to deal with grading and academic stuff and applying for a job that I really want. I did find my grandmother's zucchini bread recipe, so if I ever find time, I'm going to make zucchini bread, and that will make me feel better. I mean, maybe that's the silver lining of, of unemployment, is zucchini bread? I'm not unemployed. I have four jobs. <laughs> I'm just exhausted. Oh, no! <laughs> I work everywhere. I'm, I'm just tired, that's all. And it's, it's, it's a lot. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to find a permanent job. Seriously, if anybody, if you want to hire a, a, a lowly college professor who just really... <laughs> <laughs> doesn't want to work harder. <laughs> I just want I just want a steady paycheck and like you know time to do my little internet show. That's what I. Want. <laughs> That's all I want in life. Uh, how are you? I forgot. <laughs> present. I'm I'm a present physically and emotionally. We'll go with that. That's good. Only the two of us showed up today. This is um I, this is probably the first time in a long time that it's been just me and you. I think it's because today we're talking about something that literally no one on the show, including myself, has any idea what we're talking about. Because we're a bunch of nerds who spend our lives looking at books in closed rooms where we don't talk to people. I talk to people. What are we talking about? We're talking about cars, but not in sort of the Fast and Furious episode way, but in the more of people who actually drive cars and build them and know what they do and what a carburetor is. I I do have one of those. (laughs) Okay. We're talking about overlanding, which is a a concept that I only learned about somewhat recently, actually from one of our uh, podcast guests today, who explained it to me in using small words so I could understand. So we're joined today by founders of something called 4 by Forward, which is a community of people who are enthusiasts of something called overlanding, which I have only a vague concept of. So welcome uh, to the podcast, y'all. If you could introduce yourselves, you start with Ben. Thank you. My name is Ben Davis. Um, I'm one part of 4 by Forward, and you can find me at at BN Davis on most. Nice to meet you. And my name is Nate Mattis. I am, I guess, the other part of 4 by Forward. And uh, yeah, you can find me at Nate Mattis on just about any social media platform, except for Twitter, where at Nate Mattis has been uh, locked down since 2009. (laughs) There are two tweets on the account, and I am furious that I've never been able to get that one under my grasp of at Nate Mattis handles on social media. (laughs) So if we can find the other Nate Mattis, we would like you to come forward (laughs) because the two of you will settle this in the Thunderdome. That is how we're going to do this. (laughs) I I don't think I don't think they're listening, not because of any audience restrictions or anything, but because as of 2009, they were like a 12 year old girl (laughs) in Brazil. So no idea. Okay. (laughs) I was like, yeah, it's a nickname. It it was it's like a Brazilian version of Natalia. Oh, okay. Sure. Okay. Your name is Maverick, Mav. I feel like you cannot throw stones on this one. (laughs) That's true. true. And Mav Mav tends to be a girl's name sometimes. There, I've met, I've met girls with that nickname. It's not short for Maverick. But anyway, moving, moving along. So Ben and, and Nate, could you maybe explain a little bit about what overlanding is and maybe by extension a little bit about what 4x4 is? So I'll go ahead and kind of 
give you the spiel that I gave you uh, last time we ha- talked, and then I'll, I'll pass it off to Nate to kind of talk about what four by four it is. So overlanding is has kind of become this cliche term in uh, in the U.S., which was kind of evolved from what would be considered a touring in, say, Australia or. It's essentially uh, covering massive pieces of land and living only on what you have in your truck, whether that's, uh, you know, a huge semi truck style off-roader to, (laughs) I mean, honestly, really anything that you that you can cover land with. And this kind of evolved to supporting races. So say like the Paris to Dakar rally, they have support teams that basically would jump from point to point. And assisting racing, uh, you know, uh, I guess they're racing members. And so I think it's kind of created this environment where it's something for somebody to aspire to. So it's I want to have onboard water. I want to have onboard electricity. I want to be able to have a TV, you know, like it just all of the modern amenities that uh, that somebody might have at home has kind of evolved or shrunk to the point that we can take it on trails. Yeah. And then four by forward is uh, Ben and I joke about this a lot. It, it's weird to hear other people say it because, um, you know, if we could rewind the clock back to 2000, what, four, Ben? Four. Yeah, I think you're right. 2004, we were teenagers. We were young and dumb and uh, would race our cars around everywhere and had a car club that Ben started called uh, Fast forward held with a four number four and you know at the time we would we would joke uh as as kids do we'd be like oh yeah you know one day we're all gonna get trucks and uh we're gonna start four by forward and won't it be hilarious and then um you know 2017 rolls around and a friend of ours moved out to eastern idaho against all of our best encouragement for him not to and we decided hey you know what we're gonna go surprise him and uh and take him camping which is something that you know we would always do uh, no matter what we were driving or no matter what the situation was, you know, it was always a get off, a uh, get off work at six and be at the campsite by seven sort of thing. And very rarely would that include food. We didn't plan that far. We <laughs> only plan so far as to make sure we brought enough beer. And, you know, the running joke uh, was always the next morning asking if anyone was smart enough to pack water, which no one was. I don't see the problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, when, when you're. 21 and, and getting a little uh, getting a little buzzed out in the woods. It's, it's it's not a big deal the next morning. Now, I think I would probably die <laughs> if I drank that much and did not and consume any water. So we we go out there. We have a great time, you know, and we kind of decide, hey, this should be an annual thing. So 2018 comes around and and Ben and I are both, you know, incredibly nostalgic, uh, both in the, in the cars we drive and the hobbies that we enjoy. Um, and so we thought back to, to those conversations and said, hey, let's let's just do something fun because it was a close group of friends. It was the same people who used to go camping, uh, you know, 15 plus years ago. Um, so we decided, hey, we're going to make some some stickers for four by forward um, and just give them out to people um, as, a, as a thanks for coming and remember when we were younger. Uh, they got posted on the Internet and uh, people kind of latched onto it. And so, you know, Ben and I like went going back to when I said, like, you know, it's, it's weird to hear other people say it like four by forward is very much like it's foundation is an internal joke that we always just kind of laughed at and had we known it was going to become what it become became like maybe we would have picked a different name for it but you know here we are um and i I think honestly that that's part of what has made it so much fun and so approachable is that you know we we talk a lot about how we don't take anything like super seriously we don't have like a true founded date because you could pinpoint it to any number of years over the last decade and a half as to when it really started started you know was it fast forward when ben was sitting on his couch coming up with that 
was it when the first of our friends bought like a bigger truck or, you know, the first time we went camping there, there's any number of dates that you can pin to it. And the, you know, the ethos that we have is really like, we only do things that we consider fun and we don't like, we don't really care about anything else. Uh, you know, been interesting to like go into some, some meetings with other brands and have them be like, you know, your follower count isn't that high. And we're just kind of like, no, it's not, but whatever <laughs> i would i would like to say that even though our follower account is not massive i think the engagement in the community that we've been able to curate has been i don't i i would say blessing but you know i think it's kind of turned into something that we've had to kind of you know uh nurture but i think it's the, the engagement is just incredible mm -hmm. um we I, I wake up every day and i'm super excited to talk to people from all over the world and it's really opened a lot of doors for us so that is very cool and as has been kind of alluded to like the, the reason for the show is i know ben through my brother who is a car person although for a different sort of subset of car culture but as i mentioned like i i clearly know nothing about cars i know about three things and one of those things is that I drive a car. And then the other thing is that I don't know how to drive a stick. <laughs> but this podcast is about pop culture and basically how we use media and stuff, basically, to help form communities, to help talk to each other, to, to explore ideas together. And one of the things that I was really intrigued by, the idea that there was like this very specific, not just car culture, but like what seems like a pretty tight niche that you guys are kind of using to bring a bunch of like-minded folks together. Absolutely. I would say the the times that we spend at, at the campsites, it's, it's astounding how common that, you know, it feels like we're all cut from the same cloth. I, if I were to draw what that person looked like, I would say somewhat bearded, kind of trendy, but kind of not. Probably some, I don't know, a reject in some capacity <laughs> um, and has somehow mustered a job to to be able to afford what they're driving. And and more importantly, I think it's the passion that they have for that thing. I think we've even had people who just come out and, and you know, borrowed vehicles and they are still having a blast because they're able to go that, you know, go out and meet some people or uh, just experience something and be inspired by the, you know, by that by that campsite. So how often do you actually actively go out camping these days? So I would say, I mean, for me, it really depends on the group that we're going with. I think it's really mm -hmm. if we're just trying to get out and go see a Vista or uh, go have a fire somewhere, I would say it probably three times a month, uh, maybe a little more. Awesome. I would say larger camps, camp trips that Nate and I would plan um, middle of summer. I would say just about every weekend we're talking about something, whether that's actually planning for another one or we're actively planning for that weekend. But we're we're constantly trying to get out. So it's it's uh, it's something that's always present because I feel like this idea of getting out is just kind of a it's kind of a release. You know, you, you get to step away and you work your way back into town. And every time that you're working your way back, there's always a pit stop or there's always a view or something crazy happens on the road or, you know, oh, my God, look at that. Uh, that car in the tree or something like that. Like, it's just, it's, there's like these story, these stories that you kind of gain. It just, uh, it just ends up happening. So I really want to know how the car ended up in the tree, but that's okay. <laughs> a little bit backstory. There's a, uh, there's a roadside uh, attraction that a tree actually grew through a car. And it actually lifted the car with it. That's interesting. I'm just taking that all in. So my real question, as Kati said, we're, we're talking about like the culture around it. And I, and I find it interesting because you guys you said you, you both wanted it to be fun first. And so when I talk about car culture, normally I'm thinking about people where this is a dedication, right? And I would not say I'm a car person. I like cars. 
I love mine. Um, I've had several over my life right now. I only have one and I'm perfectly happy with it, but I drive. Um, I, I do have a four wheel drive car. I have a, a hybrid electric four wheel drive SUV that I love because I can go anywhere. And that seems perfect for what you're talking about. Right. But I'm not a car person. Like if, if you ask me, you know, like Katya, Katya said um, she can't drive stick. I can or at least I used to be be able to. It's been 20 years because I'm lazy. You and I, I think, approach cars the same way as it's for yeah. us. It's like it's it's a it's a means to an end. It's a practical thing, which it sounds like yeah. for overlanding, like it is a practical thing. But there's another layer on top of it. Is that is like is, is it an aesthetic layer? Is it I, it, I don't I don't know. I, I think. I think that's the beauty of it is it can really carry that layer that you're talking about is super diverse, whether that is an aesthetic or where that's a functional or that's something that's saying, hey, I want to climb that rock over there that looks impossible to climb on foot. Mm -hmm. Like there are so many layers or goals that people set out for themselves. Um, And I I think that's the beauty of it is that Nate and I share the same passion, but we have very different vehicles and, you know, and we we aspire to a lot of different uses for different vehicles. So. Uh, I will out myself as a quote unquote car collector. I have I currently own six cars and two motorcycles. Okay, and and every one of them has a quote unquote function, and they are all in a variety of states, whether they are running or <laughs> or on the side. <laughs> no, no, I mean it, it to- that, that totally makes sense because now you're talking about, and this is where I, what I was getting at, right? How much of it is the car culture? How much of it is the camping culture? I don't know that it matters. Um, like, like if there's an ultimate, like, I don't know that there's a definitive, you know, Nate is the ultimate overlander because he is exactly a mix of 47% and 53%. <laughs> no, I'm not, I'm not like, like I, don't, I don't think <laughs> yeah, that's the right, thing, right? Yeah. But I do think you, you, you are, you are definitely not just talking about car nerds. And I don't think you're really talking about camping nerds either. Like you, you guys mm-hmm. speak about it as though the mix of the two is important in some not in some way that I'm not quite clear on yet. No, it's you know, you're kind of you're you're getting pretty close, actually. If you were to look at the, you know, multitude of Venn diagrams that overlap in terms of like people who enjoy spending time outdoors, which Ben was talking about. And, you know, when Ben says like we're getting out three times or trying to get out three times a month, like that means very different things for both of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of my time is spent hiking. I really enjoy climbing mountains, backpacking. Um, I enjoy just being outside and being outside in a vehicle, um, you know, on this type of camping trip is, is just one more avenue for me to not be inside of four walls. Mm-hmm. And so the the overlap for four by four, like where four by four sits is, is the people who just enjoy being outside in any capacity and also happen to enjoy cars to some capacity. You know, when you look at four by four at a more green level you have people who like Ben was saying like really want to like do serious rock crawling people who are planning trips around the western u.s to what are considered like the holy lands of of off-roading and then you have people who align more with like my mentality which is like you know what if i'm gonna drive down this gravel road for an hour to get to a cooler campsite like that's that's i'm good with that like i don't need to go climb that rock in my van i don't need to like do anything crazy i just want to go and make sure i'm having a good time and that's it i would imagine it's also some of the appeal sounds like it's similar to actually like backpacking which i do actually have some experience with <laughs> one of the, i mean i think one of the reasons that backpacking is cool is because if you have the right gear you actually get to go see places you couldn't go if you were like 
doing, I don't know, I think of car camping as the default just because of that, like, you know, like, and I'm not talking about overlanding. I'm talking about like the suburban family of four goes to a designated campsite Mm -hmm. that you usually pay whatever amount of money for, Mm -hmm. which to me sounds very different. Whereas backpacking, part of the reason I found that so much more appealing was basically like, I can, I can just like shove everything in my back, disappear into the woods and never see another person (laughs) for several days, which is delightful. But you have to have the gear that enables you to do that because otherwise bad things will happen to you. Sounds like part of it is also like the kinds of vehicles you have. I mean, yes, there's a certain like practical, there's like a certain like appeal to them in and of themselves, but it's also they let you do things you might not otherwise be able to do. hundred percent. I think if you really, you're really hitting it on the head. It's, it's accessorizing. Like, I think it really gets to the point. It's like, I have a job or I have a task that I'd like to complete. How can I retrofit or outfit my vehicle to, to allow me to do that? And whether that is a pull out kitchen or a uh, a uh, solar panel array that that is then you know charging your house battery up to you know optimal levels or you know Nate has a stand up campfire so he could set up a fire literally anywhere and not be starting uh, starting forest fires like it's just these are things I would like to like to achieve and how can I retrofit them into my vehicle. You know, we, we very much live at the edges of the bell curve, right? If, if we can like use backpacking as an example, if that's going to like if your listeners may be a little bit more familiar with that one. Right. You, you know, there's the entry level to backpacking isn't very steep. Right. What do you need? You need a backpack. You probably need a stove and a tent and a sleeping bag that you can fit and isn't going to like weigh a thousand pounds. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you keep getting into it and yet like, you know, you accessorize like Ben was saying, like, hey, this backpacking stove is two ounces or point two ounces lighter than the backpacking stove I have currently. Like, that's the one I want. Is that really going to make a huge difference in your experience backpacking? Probably not. And, and you know, the the type of like car camping, uh, which is really like what overlanding is to a degree, is it's car camping down, you know, various unpaved roads mm-hmm. is living at the living at the edges of the bell curve. Right. It doesn't take much to get out there. You know, Ben and I host open invitation camp trips all the time. And the array of people and the array of vehicles that show up is is incredibly varied. You know, you have people coming in and, and their their stock Subaru, which is totally fine. Like nobody cares uh, about what you're actually driving out there. And then you have the people with like fully decked out, integrated kitchens, integrated bed platforms, solar panels, recovery gear, winches, like the, the whole nine yards. Are they going to use all of that out there? Eh, I think that's up for debate. Uh, some of it probably more than others but you know like at the end of the day what matters is is for me anyway sitting around the campfire and just hanging out which you don't need any of that stuff to do that's a key part of what what you're saying is is interesting to me right there are we've talked a lot on this show about gatekeeping and a cultural gatekeeping is something that happens in lots and lots of subcultures um where you have well you know sure you read comics but i mean do you really know about this or are you just watching are you just watching, you know, the Marvel movies because, you know, you're a girl and you can't know anything. Right. Like, you know, you 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 know, you say you like this band, but, you know, you don't listen to the old stuff. You're you only listen to them since they sold out. Right. Are you a real gamer? Can you name yeah. all the Final Fantasy games in order, including the ones that only release in Japan? Right. No. Why? Why would you do that? <laughs> but, 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 no, but what what I what I always love about uh, to me, the right way to do any sort of subcultural pastime, um, any sort of hobby is it should be fun first. Right. Like, I mean, my job is to care about culture and and read stuff, you know, but this show has always been set up because we want it to be fun first, because if I have to, like, be stuffy and annoying, then, you know, it's not worth it and you guys are talking about you know you said i don't care if you're driving a subaru 
if you want to, I mean, I, I imagine if somebody wants to come, come camping in their Cadillac, I guess it's fine. You know, you'll probably mess it up, but you know, sure. <laughs> or, or they or you know, or they can have, you know, they can, they can have a, uh, an F one fifty that they just toss all their gear in the, in the, in the bed in the back. And then they, they pitch a tent or you can do, I mean, I imagine I can bring out an RV, right. If as long as I can get wherever I need to go, yep. I, it sounds non-judgmental. Absolutely. Open to everybody and uh, very little judgment. I mean, I think that there are, there. I would say very little judgment because I think there is conversations are spurred regardless of what you're bringing. It's like, Oh, holy shit. You, made, you brought this out here. How'd you do that? Like, why did you do that? Wh- How did where you did you get <laughs> exactly. So, why does your, your Cadillac have 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 monster truck wheels? Why? How did you? How, why? Oh God, I want to see that so bad. I want that so bad. I know. Now if I'm going to do too. Someone's done this that. Is, this is my life goal. Post- I want. <laughs> I want a ridiculously impractical car that yeah, can off road. Totally. This is my life goal now. So, and I think that's the beauty of what we're doing is that we've been able to find uh, people out there, and uh, uh, I will use one guy. Just say his name, Carlos. He has what's called a, a Toyota Hiace, and Toyota Hiace is essentially a, a Ford Econoline, but in Japan. So it is a large van. Some of them came four wheel drive. So most of them were two wheel drive. His happens to be a high roof. So they literally cut the roof off the entire vehicle and made it tall enough to where you could stand vertically. He is not a small man. He's probably six two, six three. Both him and his girlfriend travel around and they, they go long distances in this thing. With their cat. Yeah, they have a van cat. So uh that's brilliant. Leaf is the van cat, ends up living in the cat or in the in the cab of the of the van with them and it's it's constantly in, you know, it's it's locations are mostly unknown, but when it, you know, it pops up, it's one it's it wants cuddles or food or whatever. Long story short, we'll be driving through. The, I, we happen to live fairly close to a OHV park or an off-road park, which we frequent. And Carlos joins us. And when you know your your traditional off-roaders are out there in their Toyota pickups or uh, you know their ATVs or uh, side by sides, whatever. And when this van drives by, it, it you know just absolute just dumbfounded faces. Nobody knows <laughs> how did that get here. What where are they going? Holy shit! He's taking that on a trail. Like I, I have to see this, and we've actually had gotten to the point where we have trains of people just, just going to go watch, and it's like, holy shit, this is an RV. It's a retrofitted RV going into a, a trail system, which uh, I would assume in that scenario, oh, that was actually kind of difficult for my vehicle, or in, you know, I want to see this happen, right. and uh, and it's kind of like that car wreck that you can't stop watching, and you know, at the end of the trail, he pulls out, everything's fine, you know, there's no major mechanical damage, uh, probably some scratches or pinstriping but but at the end of the day it's the hooting and hollering and the laughing that ends up happening on the trail that that we all remember and we're all enjoying so when i mean and i the answer might be there is no normal there is no average but are most of the people coming out there are they sleeping in their car or their truck or are they coming out there pitching a tent does it vary completely? Is it, you know, because I, I, I kind of wonder where I was going with the non with the, the non judgmental. Right. I always feel bad about anybody who says you're not really camping. You have an RV. Yeah, fuck you. I'm having fun. You know, <laughs> you know um, yeah, and, yeah, I, yeah, totally. and, and I I mean, I've slept in RVs and it's kind of cool. Right. Especially if it's like cold outside or there's bugs or you want to have yep. sex and there's people around. Those things are awesome. Right. Um, <laughs> yep, or, or yeah. Or I've um, I also. I really like sleeping outside. My favorite camping trips are the days when it's warm enough that I don't need to be in the tent that I can like sleep under the stars. I love, mm-hmm. I love mm-hmm. that. So mm-hmm. either of those are fine. And I don't, you know, do I care if somebody has a propane stove? No, 
I'm kind of a barbecue guy, just like at home, even I always prefer cooking over and over from open flame to, you know, so like I'm mm-hmm. perfectly happy to cook on a campfire, but that's me. And I love the, I love the non-judgmental portion of it. That's why I'm wondering, um, what do most people do or is there no answer to that? Is it just like, uh, so all over the place? There's no answer really like, or I guess the, the one answer I could provide is that, you know, it's Ben and I look at it from the perspective of like, are you there? Right. Any, any accessories, any details that you bring along, like whatever, I, I, I'm not going to be sleeping where you're sleeping. So, you know. <laughs> As long as you're comfortable, I think that's what's what's fine. So we see people with tents. We see people with hammocks. There was a night. What was that back in June, Ben, when you uh, latched up the hammock in the back of the truck? Yep. Slept uh, slept under the stars. And then there's, you know, people who sleep within their vehicles. There are people who throw up cots and anything in between. Same thing with like any level of stoves, any level of uh, cooking utensils. Some people show up and are like, you know what? I got this cliff bar and I'm really excited to eat this cliff bar. And that's all I'm going to (laughs) do. And then you have people like me who bring a whole goddamn kitchen with them, set it up and do my best to cook really nice meals for multiple people to enjoy because there's no such thing as making like a single serving of a really nice meal. As as a protein bar aficionado, there's no such thing as being excited to eat a Cliff Bar. There just isn't. If you are excited (laughs) to eat a Cliff Bar, something's wrong with you. I already like had 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 to like grimace a little bit when Mav brought up barbecue culture. This is a contentious topic in the group chat. It's about to get worse. We've actually had people bring out smokers to like oh to to bake to bake uh to bake pies and stuff. Be careful what you mentioned now. Mav is now going to fly out from Pittsburgh, and then he will just talk to you about smokers for days. No, yeah, I'll totally do that. So the chat that Katya is talking about is at one point we were talking about um Hannah, one of our co-hosts, who's not here today, was talking about her her barbecue grill that she has at her house. And I was like, grill, what does it mean to only have a barbecue grill? I, 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 I'm not aware of this. This is an alien phenomenon um, to me. Yes. I, I currently, and this is not, and this is not a joke. This is not an exaggeration for the listener on my back porch right now. I currently have four separate barbecue grills for different kinds of grilling. This is not including the two that I have in storage in my garage that I'm not actively using. Matt, you, you are in great company because what was it? What was this like two weeks ago? We had a very lengthy discussion in the four by four discord about camping stoves. I have seven camping stoves with an eighth on the way from Japan right now, which is actually a charcoal barbecue. So I think you'll, uh, you know, you'll be into that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So because the, 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 the point came up, like, it was like, I have, you know, I have my, my barrel grill smoker, which is my, my regular grill. I have my overflow grill for when you're having a party. It's just a smaller regular grill, but you know, you can only, ha- you can only do so much on the surface. Um, I also have my open pit, uh, my, my open flame pit. And then I have, um, you know, the smoker, because why do I need a, a dedicated? smoker what if it's thanksgiving and i want to make a turkey i mean that's that's coming up in like two weeks i'm gonna to have to cook a turkey i need a special grill for that and then um i was talking about this and and my wife actually said that's silly you could just we could just cook it in the stove or in the oven and i was like do you want to get divorced no this is not a thing <laughs> <laughs> like i have a few great joys in my life this is one of them so right when you get to, if you say we can take a smoker to um to i'm like this is awesome because now now i kind of want to do it it just never occurred to me to like have Thanksgiving, have Thanksgiving on the road. I could go camping. I'd have yep. to be there. Smoking a turkey is an exercise in faith. If you want to do it right, um, a large bird takes like 18 hours. So like, you, it's, it's, it's like a slow cook kind of thing in order to do it perfectly. And I've got, but now I'm like sort of into it. So 
<laughs> so I just so want to throw out there how much I love that like everyone on this podcast right now has that same level of passion where like anyone from the outside world will look at it and be like, why the hell do you have nine smokers? Like ben, <laughs> Ben's got six cars. Yeah. Katya, I'm sure has a million sewing machines. Uh-huh. I've got camping stoves. I've got tents. Like I have yeah. way too much camping gear for one person to ever use in their life. But there's a reason for it in my head that makes sense. Have we got a podcast for you. This is basically people who have made esoteric nerdery into a profession. Yeah. It's, it's we have we have we have few things going for us in life but that's it that's that's the thing we have going for us but okay actually speaking of very specific ner- niche nerd things you mentioned you're ordering a stove from japan specialized maybe not the word but you seem to have a lot of overlanding equipment and and knowledge that's specifically japanese where where does that come from part, part of the reason i ask is because japan is not someplace that i readily associate with either camping or like this particular brand of car culture. Like I think when most sure. of us mere plebeians hear about Japanese car culture, we think of like, you know, Tokyo Drift or something. Yep, I was about yeah. to say that exact thing. This feels very not that. I would say the Japanese cultures, they are specialists in everything that they're doing. And I would say that the brands and the equipment, whether that is Mitsubishi putting a armoire into into their factory option list of things that you could add to their uh, off-road vehicles. I think specifically Mitsubishi's dedication to getting out and and their weirdness of the things that they've been able to do in their options catalog. And I would say even across the board of what they're offering for camping, Japanese camping is literally just camping in a field. And it's it's you take your living room out there, you bring a lug or oh, sorry, your rug, you bring uh, you know, all your teak furniture. Uh, lanterns and all your vintage uh, vintage equipment and you just rough it and I think that's kind of the thing is that in Japan there isn't much room away from big cities you know uh, you're less than an hour away from a major spot and you're going to take that time in that field with your neighbors and enjoy that whereas here you know I think Nate has a really good good statistic that it's like there is no road what is it? No road. No, 21 miles is the farthest from from a major city. What was it? Were you sure that? Uh, yeah. So like in, in the United States or at least in the lower 48, because Alaska doesn't count because it's a wasteland of forests. You can be no more than about 22 miles away from a paved road. Like that's, that's as far as you can get. And so a lot of times, you know, people talk about like really getting out there. But put in context, you're, you're a long day's walk from paved roads which generally equals civilization mm-hmm. well so it sounds like part of the appeal of the equipment is not just like because i mean you talked earlier about like the part of the appeal of overlanding is like getting out there whatever that means to you but part of it is also it sounds like the equipment helps you how do i say this craft the illusion of being mm. out there like japan as as a nation doesn't have a lot of rural areas or at least not in the sense that you know going out into the I don't know, the backwoods of Yellowstone is a remote place where, like, they require you to take a gun when you go because, you know, bears. They're not a lot of nations experience. I think camping is uh, intrinsically nostalgic. And it kind of takes you to this place where, personally, you know, I'd go out with my family and we'd, a lot of those feelings of, like, what am I going to eat for dinner? You know, what what am I, what's the agenda? That all kind of just flies out the window, and I just assume that it's going to get taken care of. So Nate's definitely got dinner sorted. You know, what am I going to do? Okay, I got the dogs and the dirt bikes, so I might as well just make some, make you know, carve out a couple hours to go rip around. And it, it, you just kind of go out, and to your point, it's just create this illusion of of being away from work, from the you know, being an adult. What Ben is saying is is a uniquely American experience. You know, I 
when you think about like what Ben was saying about uh, camping being incredibly nostalgic, I, I agree 100%. The subtext to any level of nostalgia is that you have to have experienced it once before in your life and you can't do that if it's not a part of your culture's just like life. Mm -hmm. Like if it doesn't exist, it's not going to exist for them as a child. They're not going to want to perpetuate that thing. And so the, like bringing this conversation back a little bit to the question of Japan is that there's a almost like a I hesitate to speak too much because, you know, I'm not Japanese, but like there there's a very manufactured quality. Ben mentioned this, that it's in these big fields. These fields are carved out spaces of nature that they let people into to experience that kind of like sleeping outdoors experience. Mm -hmm. I said experience like three times there, but that is what it is. Right. And so because of because of that, like it shifts what camping is for them. Camping is much more communal. Uh, it's much more engaged with other people. And it's much more about the stuff that you bring to enhance like comfort. There are things that are pretty much staples in Japanese camping culture that most Americans would consider like a complete waste space. Mm -hmm. And so when we think about four by forward as well, like thinking about thinking about how Ben described overlanding, right, is as really stemming from Australian culture, a country where like 98% of it is just desert. Um, mm -hmm. it, like overlanding is a, is a thing. It's 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 much more real and visceral in a way that American camping actually never really is. Like we we pull from all of these different aspects and, and kind of i don't know like i i feel like this is patting ourselves on the back probably a little bit too much but i'll say it anyways i like we come up with this very inspired from many different regions version of camping that is uniquely four by forward where we have this japanese bring all of this stuff out it's very communal it's a lot of people we're kind of shooing away the notion that often exists with American camping, which is like being alone mm -hmm. to bring more people out there. You know, we judge the success of like, was that a good camping trip? A lot of times based on like, yeah, we had a, a lot of awesome people show up. That was great. Combine that with this Australian version of uh, outfitting your vehicle. Um, and then, yeah, I'd, I'd say that like that embodies kind of who we are. I don't know, Ben, if you if I said anything that you would completely disagree with. It, <laughs> no, I think I think you nailed it. And I think what you and I have talked about this a little bit, but I think there's a matter of education. I think that reason people to get out is because of that sense of nostalgia. My dad, you know, we used to go out to these fields or this mountain X, Y, Z, and I still go out there. But I think that there are different ways of doing that. And I think through four by four, Nate are Nate and I are, are sharing things that we uh, personally, I mean, because we're nerds, because we kind of go to the nth degree to really explore how their people are solving the problems that we're dealing with and and being able to share those really weird uh, cassette players that are strapped to your dash so that people can yeah. listen to music <laughs> or or uh, like, hey, these are really unique fog light covers. I mean, it, it really you go down this rabbit hole of all of the problems that we, you know, as humans uh, have going out in the wilderness and all of the nations around the world trying to solve this. It's super fun for us to be able to share those products with other with with others. And so whether that's really unique seat covers that we just posted today that came from Japan that solve the problem that the U.S. market had, where all of the factory seats from the specifically the Mitsubishi Montero all get torn up. Like, you know, I think I've, I've seen one example of dozens of Mitsubishi Monteros that don't have torn driver seats. These are OEM. <laughs> I understood 
that. I mean, yes, absolutely. Okay. No, it's just like, he said that. And I'm like, oh my God, he's right. They <laughs> all do. Every single one has a torn seat. Every one of them. And, and Mitsubishi recognized that. And so they fashioned this seat cover out of denim. And they say the name of the vehicle on it. And it literally covers every part of the seat from the head cut, from the armrest to the, to the headrests, to uh, even the rear jumper seat that is removable has been designed to be removable now gets covered in denim. And it's, it's just incredible that we all have these problems. We all have driver seats that get holes in them, but I think it's really freaking cool to be able to have the ability of the internet and connect with individuals from all across the world and then be able to broadcast this to a community that is as weird as we are and and have them be as excited as uh, you know as we are as well so um, be able to share that what's interesting about hearing you guys talk about this is that what you're describing is like the appeal of i think it's shared with actually a lot of a lot of you know hosts of the show as well as our listeners that are academics or academic curious for lack of a better word is that it's the it's the sort of like weird pleasure or like satisfaction that comes out of expertise right because it's like mm. i have no idea i had no idea that there was a car seat that made of denim which fun fact mainly i find that fascinating because denim is a uniquely american textile and so to have it on a japanese car seat and now actually japan is probably one of the world's best manufacturers of denim and the reason i know that is because i'm a giant fabric nerd well do i have the seat covers for you <laughs> i mean i don't think they fit in a I, I think if i put those in my car uh ben will make make a sad face because i drive a 2015 prius routinely the car guys make faces at the fact that i drive a 2015 there prius. is no way that there is not denim seat covers for a prius i, <laughs> I, I, like, I don't even need to look i'm just saying prius, that i will be judged <laughs> quite possibly but prius car culture is totally a thing i live in the northwest i'm fully aware whenever i drive at any to any parking lot there are 18 of the same exact vehicle and we all park at the same part of the parking lot um <laughs> Right up front. Oh, God. Yeah, I love I love parking lots that have hybrid only. Again, I have an SUV, but it's a hybrid. Well, we don't even so have the hybrid only there. because awesome. everyone in Portland drives the hybrid. Like enough of us do that. Oh, there's awesome. no point. It's just the entire the entire parking lot is a hybrid section. So the expertise, the nostalgia thing. Here's what one of the things that I think is fascinating. First off, I want to point out that I love that at one point, then you just said, and then Nate will cook for me. And Nate didn't even blink. He's just like, oh yeah, of course I will. So, <laughs> as, far, as far as the way camping works, I'm like, I'm going to go take care of the of the dirt bikes, but you know, food will happen. <laughs> Somebody doesn't spend thousands of dollars on a kitchen and not use it. So I'll just leave that there. <laughs> I just, I just enjoy cooking. And you know what? But again, like, I don't want, I'll keep tooting our own horn because fuck it. Why not? Now I've had like three drinks as we've been sitting here. <laughs> Again, that that is who we are and that's what we enjoy, you know, like we'll throw it back to 2007, right? It was a can of chili that you were lucky if A, someone brought a can opener and B, you actually <laughs> heated it up instead of just eating it cold with a <laughs> dirty plastic fork. <laughs> and so it's like, we, you know, we run the full gamut of culinary choices. And if people are into it, awesome. There are other people who really enjoy camp cooking like I do. And then there are people who like Ben, who... I'll caveat this statement with he makes the best chilaquiles that I've ever had in my life. Doesn't like make these big things when he goes camping because it's just not who he is. And that's totally fine. And again, because I have extra food, like if Ben wants to go like run around with his dogs outside while I cook food, like we're both having a good time. And so, yeah, let's reconvene around the campfire. So when you talked about like the nostalgia aspect of it, this is what I what I think is fascinating. You, you said it was uniquely American and that's so true. So camping like historically is this odd thing that we and I'm going to say 
say this in a way that's going to sound really funny, but it's r- true. Americans just kind of invented camping. Yeah. <laughs> well, Americans and, and the and the British, it wasn't a thing. Camping doesn't actually exist as like an activity, a recreation. It starts in the UK. It really blows up in America around the turn of the century. It starts probably in the 1880s, but it really starts happening in like 1900, 1910 in that mm-hmm. area, right? There was no camping before that. Sometimes people just slept in the woods because they were going somewhere. You know, in order to have camping, you have to have this, you have to have a, a world that exists where everyone lives in cities. If urban life hadn't happened yet, then there is no camping. That's just life, right? So camping is this hobby that we invented to get back to our nostalgic belief of the way things used to be a little while ago, because when they first invented it, you know, they weren't that far removed. But also it was this fictional nostalgia, right? Because you don't Mm want to camp and go out and actually rough it. That wouldn't be any fun. (laughs) That what you so wanted to. <laughs> right. Like no, I shouldn't say it, it wouldn't be because there totally are people who will, oh my God, I'm gonna go camping. I'm going to go hunt my own food. I'm going to skin it. I'm gonna fish. I'm gonna I'm gonna skin the um the raccoon that I shoot on the you know at the campsite and then cook it up on the on the fire. But that's not what most of us do. Most of the time when you go camping, you're you know, you're carrying a backpack. Backpacks didn't exist in the 1700s. Not like what we call I mean, not the kinds of things that we call a backpack today, right? Like right. that's not a that's, like we didn't even our roughing it is so technologically advanced that it bears little resemblance to what we did before. You know, you're going to pack in all your garbage. That wasn't a thing. You used to just bury it. Right. Like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, like, like there's an outhouse. Where'd that come from? Those are all <laughs> relatively like they're relatively modern inventions that we've like sort of added. I even said, you know, like I love cooking on on an open grill, but that's a total modern invention that we invented for this necessity nostalgic idea of camping that doesn't really start taking off in America until first the 1930s and it pauses briefly. It starts originally in 1900, right? 1880, 1900. Then it gets actually popular around 1930, pauses and for us to have a second world war and then picks up again as just this sort of thing where it's like a family trip where you go and you pretend to be cowboys or pioneers, but like yeah. in an idea of what actual cowboys, the way we envision them is like totally a Hollywood invention. So it's, it's this weird roughing it that's made up. I'm so glad you brought that up. I have, it must be close to a hundred like dime novel esque uh, Western books from, from like the 50s, 60s where cowboys saw this big Renaissance in American culture. And I've read them all because they're like the perfect thing to read when you're camping alone. Like, it's just it's it's not good to read, but it's perfect for the situation. And they're they're all very much that that exactly what you were alluding to, that like fake version of camping seen through the eyes of 1960s Americana, which is, yeah, I'm roughing it. But actually, it's not that bad. And yeah, we'll we'll get on that old dusty trail and hop on our horses and be on our way tomorrow. And everything's fine. We don't have to deal with like nutrition and scurvy because we got this 20 pound piece of bacon in our horse saddle. Great. <laughs> <laughs> right. We didn't get dysentery. It's fine. It's interesting you bring up like sort of the Wild West dime novel. First of all, you are in good company in terms of people who enjoy canonically bad literature. I have multiple yes. degrees in it. It's great. Multiple degrees in bad literature. That's oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a whole thing. <laughs> when I say bad literature, I mean populist literature, i.e., stuff that sells well and wasn't written by someone who the New York Times Times has like a giant uh, fanboy crush on. You could just say you're a Twilight fan. That's okay. I am not a Twilight fan, but that's a different episode. Not a Twilight fan, but that's, that's, <laughs> we've done that. I, we've done I am aggressively not a Twilight fan. 
but so the, the issue Mav was talking about, and then also what you were talking about, the connection with the Wild West, is it's both a nostalgia thing, but it's also a mythological thing and a moral thing. So... Mm-hmm. In the in the period that Matt was talking about, the 1930s and the early 20th century, I mean, this is actually why we have national parks, right? Right. Basically, the early 20th century, there's this idea that Americans need to get back to some kind of natural state, and which for us means going back to the forest or the desert or like natural spaces like throughout mm-hmm. american and also british history whenever whenever we feel like and when i say we as like as a society we feel like we are being compromised by the let's say moral complications that we associate with urban life we you then see a return to nature you see it with the victorians you see it later in the 20th century in america that manifests in like why we have national parks it wasn't just sort of like we wanted to preserve the land that was part of it, arguably. Like, I, I would argue that was a fairly small part of it. Um, we are mm-hmm. not very good custodians of the land. No, we're the really bad at it. See, for example, the privatization of land management at Yellowstone uh, that's happened in the last several decades. But what I was trying to get at is that this idea that it's nostalgia, but also there's this idea that somehow we are made better as people by going and spending time in the woods. Even if it's constructed and sort of like not really a return to like roughing it and what, I don't know, the pioneers did or whatever. And the Wild West is part of that. As Mav mentioned, it's like the way that we conceptualize and we talk about the Wild West is really mythologized. It's based off of TV shows that are not an accurate historical reflection of what the Wild West was. But we have this idea that if you live like a cowboy and this is like this idea that going to the West is somehow you are a hardier and better individual for having done it. Mm-hmm. The West, you know, where Hollywood is. Well, because, because like, throughout American history, like the West yes. is talked about as the alternative to the East. It's the uncharted territory. The West is mythologized as a, in the American, in the American monomyth, the American cultural history, we mythologize the West as this uncharted territory where, you know, where dreams are made, you know, and I don't mean just in, I mean, both in a Hollywood sense, but also it's the unsettled land. But like, it's not unsettled, as you said, you know, there's that you're within like 25 miles of a freeway always. Right. (laughs) You know, like it's it's really hard to not be near a road. But we talk about the West in this way and we talk about roughing it in this way as though, you know, you're roughing it and you're talking about roughing it in a van. You know, like let's like the fact that you're using the fact that you're using a car to get there. Oh, yeah. I was just going to actually challenge that a little bit in that like we're intentionally not roughing it like i don't think either ben or i are under any illusions (laughs) that this is like true camping as you would see in uh encyclopedia britannica um (laughs) i I think we're we're trying to skirt that we're we're trying to say that like it doesn't matter what the notions of camping are the appreciation is is far more about people coming together far more about getting to experience uh people and especially like if you look at the last 18 months like enjoying other people's company in a way that does not put you at risk of dying due to pneumonia and covid and you know right. basically the black lung we can all be out there we can all be safe and we cannot have to worry about this looming threat one of many that currently exists uh but this looming threat that lives over our head because we're outdoors it it, it is uh it is a reprieve well and, th- and that's what I, that's what i'm getting at you guys have an honest version of like you're not like you said you're not roughing you're acknowledging again you are using a stove you just said you have several stoves you've taken you've taken modern life to the middle of nowhere in your car because that's part of that that's part of the experience so you are acknowledging the um fictionality of it but i don't think that makes it unreal just because it's fictional you've both kind of backed into one of the things that i'm really curious about is 
van culture, which mm-hmm. seems like it's somewhat distinct from overlanding, at least from an outsider's perspective. Nate, you mentioned like sort of the, you know, increased interest in camping during COVID. And one of the things that's been a discussion on a lot of these like uh, van culture sites is basically how van culture has become a way for particularly, it seems like wealthy white people in the United States to use basically living out of their van as a form of escape escapism, which a lot of people have called out as like, hey, this is kind of classist and I don't have great feels about it. But I was kind of curious about as, as people who are like enthusiasts of overlay like what your thoughts are about like this particular phenomenon of van culture and how you relate to it. I mean, I've got an opinion, but I actually be more curious to hear what Ben has to say about this <laughs> as someone who does not own a van, but is very familiar with the concept. All right. So I, so going back to this idea of camping, I think it's a conscious choice. All of these things that we're talking about, taking our comfortable spaces out into the wilderness and and enjoy and being able to step away from those things that are trying to kill us and really flourish in those spaces with people we care about. Mm-hmm. I think this socioeconomic situation that I think we are all dealing with, whether you have a mortgage or not, is forcing people to look at other situations. And whether you are, you know, a privileged white person who has the opportunity to like, hey, mom, I don't really want to do this anymore. Get me out of here. And this is your parachute or it's somebody who's literally roughing and has no choice and they can't afford it. And they they just live out of their Prius. Mm-hmm. The calling the Prius, the poor people car just is kind of a. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we live in the Northwest. Point taken, though. Yes, keep going. Sorry. That <laughs> it, it, it's almost like they don't have a choice. Right. And we end up crossing paths with these individuals. And, and honestly, they are salt of the earth. They're people who either want to be there or have no choice to be there. And mm-hmm. and I think that at the end of the day, they are finding silver linings in that. And whether they have an Instagram for their van or not, I think their heart is in the right place, whether or not mm-hmm. they are profiting from this lifestyle that they're creating or this facade that they're that they're standing up. I don't have a van. I don't I have a mortgage, so I'm not in this. Posi- I, I, I'm in a, speaking in a, from a position of privilege, but I also could see and, you know, I, I'm considering, you know, moving out into my truck for a while and building a home and renting out my place because I live in a place where rent is high and it's like it's almost lucrative. It would be lucrative for me to step away from my my mortgage to be able to step aside into this space where maybe it would actually open up opportunities for me in uh, spaces of remote work in spaces where I don't necessarily have to be in the office or I could, you know, go see things that I care about and still be able to maintain a nine to five. So mm-hmm. I, I might not be necessarily the right person to answer this question, but I like to see these individuals out on the trails and exploring these places and roughing it and, you know, selling their merch, or, you know, their, their wares. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that sort of strikes me about like both what I was doing, like, so the research I was doing and then what you're talking about now is that as a generation, I think everyone on here is a millennial except for Mav. As a generation, I think a lot of us, I mean, this is why things like minimalism have really taken off in ways that are both problematic and not. Um, and tiny homes, again, same thing, because we're all having to sort of question like what's actually worth it financially, because we're in a we're in a position where we've lived now through multiple recessions. We're probably on the brink of something potentially worse financially. And so it's like we have to like the the status quo that was assumed to be just what was like what's quote unquote supposed to happen in terms of like you're supposed to like like 2.5 kids and a white picket fence. Whether we have an affinity for that or not, we all have to sort of like reposition our identities in relation to what's actually feasible for us financially, practically, whatever it is. And so I can imagine for some 
some folks living out of a van, at, at the very least, an interesting experiment to them, even if it's not necessarily a way that they have to be. And I understand why folks that don't have a choice feel tension or feel 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 problematic mm-hmm. about that. On the other mm-hmm. hand, I could also imagine and this is where sort of my like my labor organizing hat comes on. I would imagine like what you guys have been talking about this entire time has been how useful and productive this particular practice is for building community. I would imagine that like the shared experience of living out of a vehicle, whether you elect to or you have to, is a potentially like pretty powerful resource for class solidarity, honestly, in yeah. a cultural context in the United States, particularly where we don't have a lot of that. Uh, I will point out or shout out Descend on Bend. Um, this is a large community of that started as a Vanagon or Volkswagen uh, community that f- exploded into this into the community that you're exactly highlighting. I think it's everything from what would be considered quote unquote dirt bags who jump from climbing bivy to bivy to uh, to people who are showing up in their $250,000 Sprinter vans. And I, I hazard to guess that those people you know, share a lot of same interests, which is wild. That's something that we, that to your point, I don't think we have a lot of that crossover here. Both Nate and I, for uh, different reasons, decided not to attend, but I think it's this, this large community of individuals that share those interests. They, they share uh, interest in yoga and health and, and food and, and this, you know, and their neighbors and whether those are uh, fellow campers or fellow uh, van dwellers, it's, it's just, it is astounding. You really can't, uh, you can't argue with i mean i think they estimated over 2000 vans in in attendance and it's just in a hole what they call the hole in the ground and personally i didn't end up attending because i you know seeing 2000 vans you know peak covid was kind of a scary thought <laughs> and and especially you know fair, in, fair. in a in a community where like oh wow you're showing with something unique i want to talk to you is like i love you but actually i don't want to talk to you is kind of a rough scenario so anyways I, uh, it creates a scenario where there is almost a, a flattening of of that culture or that that uh, the financial curve and and allows for everybody to kind of sh- share interest. One of our one of our listener comments was basically saying that like they were reading the concept and basically like this sounds this sounds like white privilege to me. And I read that and I was like that's you're not wrong based off of my understanding of the history of camping and the things that go into it. But all but this feels like a yes and or maybe a yes but of like and this is something we talk about the show all the time is it's like it's never black or white. It is like when we come to questions of culture, it is way more nuanced than that. I just as a philosophy, I, I don't like the yes, but because that always feels so defensive. I, I the yes and though is is much more in terms of like how Ben and I would think about this, which is, you know, van life as a phrase has been used as a pejorative to describe like these very affluent um very affluent, very white people who are able to buy that $250,000 vehicle in addition to their very expensive home and use it as a weekend getaway. Mm-hmm. But when you look at van life in the actuality, like the van life subreddit is a very, very good example of, of this, which is lots of people who are intentionally choosing to move into vehicles to avoid things like rent, to avoid things mm-hmm. like having to worry about making ends meet. And they're saying, hey, I, here's this 1985 Dodge. Like, is this a good option? Like, th- these are people who want this as life. And, mm-hmm. and I, I do want to asterisk the phrase want. They want it because society has, like, 
colossally shit on them and failed them yeah, to sure. be able to support like what would we consider a normal life right but but there is a very large distinction there and, and it's unfortunate that that you know like maybe what we call like hashtag van life exists in this like sprinter van gonna visit the natural parks gonna work as a creative from my laptop from all of these you know very beautiful natural scenes to what the actuality of van life is and i think the, the most important thing that happens when you sit around the campfire is that like you don't really ask about that uh you mm-hmm. sit there and you're talking to the person and i mean you know i guess you hope you you don't know this for sure but you hope that people are there and that they they feel comfortable and that they're able to express who they are naturally and i i like i'll mirror ben and say like i won't i won't skirt the white privilege here that i'm able to be on this podcast and sit here and talk about my vehicle which is toy I've, I've said this multiple times, you know, it's it's not like a daily driver. It's not something I absolutely rely on to get to work and to, you know, get me around town because I have another car and I'm able to do that. But I think one of the things that, you know, Ben and I talk about a lot is, you know, what are we doing enough to like make the outdoors feel inclusive and make it really be a space for all and it's it's hard because there's you know there's not always the correct approach for us to sit into that conversation um so it's you know it comes back to the defaults you know the the same things that you hear time and time again which is elevating other voices doing what we can donating to charities you know we're we're an llc um doesn't mean we're actually making any money we we donate a lot to you know when we look back to june of 2020 june of 2020 we were donating money to black lives matter conversations right are they necessarily the ones who are getting outdoors? No, not right now, but I hope they do. I want to say that. So we've resolved nothing because that's a perfect place to end. But that was really good, dude. <laughs> <laughs> as far as like, a, I don't want to say we resolved nothing. That's like that. That is. I, I mean, I think we resolved something. It's a rare show where we do that. I, I think that is a perfect way to, to speak to it. Is it a mark of privilege? Not even just white privilege. I'll say privilege because I'm, I'm a black guy, but I love camping. I haven't gone in a long time, but I love camping. And, you know, I mean, I talked about at the beginning of the show how I'm looking for a job. I'm also... I'm, I'm as highly educated as a person can be, right? Like I've got privilege in many ways. It is not simple. There is lots of nuance in culture, like Katya said. And I love that rather than being defensive about it, you know, when, when Katya asks, is this a thing of, is this a thing of privilege? The answer is yes. And, and I like the yes. And because rather than being defensive about it, you're embracing it and doing what you can to use that power for good. And also, to just enjoy yourself. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying, or I mean, I'm sure some people do, but I'm going to say there's nothing wrong with saying, I just want to go out camping for the weekend because yeah, sure. Some people have to, but I enjoy this. Now I'm an academic. Before I was an ap- academic, when this became my job, this was my hobby. Um, Wayne, who's our regular regular co-host, will absolutely tell you that he is a hobbyist academic. Sometimes that happens. It's the weird world we live in that, you know, some people's livelihoods are other people's pastimes. And I think that has to be OK in order for a diverse culture to function. Well said. I think I think that's right. And I think I think I think what's really productive about this conversation is I've been thinking a lot about the way that 
internet discourse talks about privilege in a very reductive way. And I think a better way to talk about it is actually something I've pulled from Sasha Costanza-Chalk, um, Design Justice. They talk about the matrix of domination, which I'm not going to go super mm-hmm. into, but basically talk about privilege not as a hierarchy of like someone's winning and someone's losing. The way that the, the way that they talk about it is more about like, it's that you kind of occupy different spaces in relation to privilege and there are pros and cons. Like if you're a straight, cis, white dude, it's not that you have won the privilege lottery exactly and there are no bad things. There are cons to being a straight, cis, white dude. Yes, there are. And there might be less cons than for, you know, somebody else with a different identity, but it's basically like, it's always, it's always a matter of give and take. And I think that's where the yes and comes from. It's basically like, it is more, it's it's more complicated. And then if we continue to reduce those conversations in the way that the internet mm-hmm. tends to because we like we like easy answers we like yes and no and we like mm-hmm. good and bad and when we reduce those conversations it's kind of like throwing the baby out of the bad bath water mm-hmm. to say that there are there are good and bads to privilege and privileges are variable um so i, I sure is it white privilege yeah uh, yes i mean I, but i it doesn't yeah it doesn't have to end that way and i think you guys have found a really good way of making it work embracing what, what you like to do and then doing something interesting and positive with it in the long run so um, if I ever come out to Portland, I'll go with you. <laughs> yeah, you're always welcome. Uh, like I'm just, I'm, I'm seriously like, think, uh, like I'm seriously thinking now. Like, can I cook a cake in my smoker? I mean, I like, <laughs> like I've been working from ever since that since I came up. I'm like, should that work out? I, I, I mean, I, I might. I, I said it again. I found my grandmother's. <laughs> recipe for zucchini bread which is meant to be cooked in an oven but i could actually you know i could make this work (laughs) but thank you guys for coming on this has been great i've learned a lot i am interested makes me want to go camping like i said i haven't had time to go camping in forever i really might have to do that and speak about privilege like i said i've got i mean i can't afford to but i i love i I, right now i drive a a, a toyota highlander which um, i've actually it's a lot of room i've learned to love it but like i think the ultimate you know overlanding vehicle for the united states and speaks of total privilege i think you want a chevy avalanche that <laughs> god-awful ugly truck that i that no one ever that they don't make anymore which is a horrible ugly truck but like the more you guys talk about it i i, I think but if i could find a 2013 avalanche that would be perfect for what you guys are talking about <laughs> okay. hey any, anything that gets you across that next bend man i think that's that's what yeah. it's about <laughs> anyway thank you guys both for coming um there the blog well i mean obviously the site but anything else uh start with ben yeah hey thank you so much for having us uh we had a blast being able to share our stories um i think the really only thing we want to plug is uh, we just recently released a zine um it's a passion project between nate and i um it we actually curated a number of uh a number of uh, contributors who shared a similar story it's a it's a story of a spontaneity um uh, we called it makeshift bearings something that you know just happens whether that's whether that's a whether that is a a trip to Morocco that was planned in less than a week, or that's a backpacking trip that had ha- that happened in less than 24 hours. We're super proud about it. And uh, we put that out in the world and, and we've been really excited about that, but you can find that at four by com, and it should be right on the front page. Yeah, it'll be, linked, it'll be linked in the show notes, of course. Nate, what about you? Anything else? No, I think Ben Ben hit it. You know, any thanks for people who are still listening at this? Because if you're like me as the show starts to wrap up, I generally move on to the next podcast. So yeah. Shout out to you. How dare you, Nate? <laughs> I'm offended. <laughs> <laughs> 
it's funny. It's it's the things that take the most amount of time, the most amount of effort on behalf of Ben and I that we're the most proud of that also simultaneously are like doing the least for like four by forward in terms of community, because, you know, we could only really uh, make 50 of these things. And but they took us a year and a half to put together. And here we are. And I'm super happy with it. It's it's amazing to look at. Um, so, yeah, I just echo what Ben said. Awesome. Awesome. And Katya, I've told you a million times, Mav, I don't believe in the Internet again. And I keep telling you. You host a show on the internet. <laughs> I will say, I have seen the zine. The photography is great. And I believe there's a recipe for the aforementioned chilaquiles, if I am not oh, mistaken. There is. Right in the back. There you go. So. Re- reason enough to order it. <laughs> uh, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all of the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same places, at Fox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpopcast.com you can find out what we're talking about next week and which I, I lost track it might be dune it may be not I, I lost track of what, what, what order the shows came out in but we would appreciate it if you subscribe to the blog you can leave us comments on this show or any other show let us know what you were thinking tweet at us you can also tweet at us that also works out well and if you enjoy the show we certainly hope you do and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever else you get podcasts from and do us a favor leave us a five star review if you leave us a five star review especially on iTunes Apple Podcasts that gooses the algorithm makes us more popular um helps other people find the show makes me feel good because as you said at the beginning i'm real stressed out right now so so seriously just leave a review that says we love you mav please don't cry that would mean a lot to me <laughs> i'm so burned out i am in, I'm in the middle of a whole rating and job apps it, it, it's it's a hard time right now people so help us out subscribe to our show on youtube like and subscribe all hit bells all the youtube stuff all the Facebook stuff, Twitter, Instagram, all those places. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, feeling ever so more epically and playing us out. I'd once again like to thank Nate and Ben for joining us. I'd like to thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye! Bye.